icon as far as actually like a childhood star, childhood prodigy. Yeah, it's like this is one of those rare moments where we actually grew with the person. We watched you from Nickelodeon oh, yeah. to now. Yeah. It's like this dude's a mogul. Man, I, I told you outside, there's nothing that would surprise me that you you, you would do. The greatest showman. Yeah, I appreciate it. And that's why I, I, we were just talking like, man, I'm still trying to figure it out. I mean, I appreciate the, the accolades and the conversation, but, you know, I'm learning from y'all. I'm watching y'all. I'm studying how, how the moves go in. I never want to come from a place of, like, expertise or master class because it's still a process for me, and I'm still figuring it out because we are the first generation of really being able to operate the way that we operate. Mm -hmm. And, like, we learn from the Steve Harveys and, you know, even me, the Eddie Murphys and the Russell Simmons and the Quincy Jones of the world, but even them, we, we have, it's a different playbook now. When you think about the, the amount of billions that are generated from what we started and what we generated from our own creativity, not just in the hip hop culture, but even the post hip hop culture of this new age, this, you know, Gen Z, Gen, you know, the millennial concepts of how we're gonna, it's it's about ownership, it's about IP, like these, these none of these conversations ever happened before this. Let's get into it, but yeah, I, yeah. I wanna start at the beginning. I just found something out. At 17, you was the youngest writer in Nickelodeon history. The youngest writer in television history. Talk mm. about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously, I came up in the in the time of where uh, you had to do it all. I was a young stand-up comedian slash rapper slash producer, you know, all of this stuff. I, I was, you know, a kid coming from the church. I just wanted to put on for my friends. So I would DJ, throw parties, uh, make beats like selling CDs out the, out the trunk of my mom's car. Like that was the vibe. And then I was always like, you know, charismatic type of kid. And I was all, you know, my pops was a minister. So I would always like get to tell jokes at church and open up for the preacher, man. And he was the one that kind of driving me like, yo, everybody wants to be a rapper, but you're funny. You know what I mean? They do something different, think outside the box. So in the space, he had a televangelist ministry. So it was like public access, like come on, like, <laughs> or like early Sunday, morning, like all of that stuff. So I had to learn how like to take workshops and like cable vision and stuff like that. You had to, to have a show, you had to take all of the workshops. So I had to work the cameras, the audio setup, the lighting, the sets at like 11, 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And in, in a reward, I got studio time. So I would do rap shows and comedy shows and all of that. And from that, I developed this, a set at like 11, 12 years old, and I would go on the road doing stand-up. And at 12? At like 12, wow. like I was like the kid comedian. It's funny, like I would audition for like, they wouldn't let me on Def Jam because I was, you know, like, but I was around all of those guys. I would do shows with all of those dudes, but I couldn't get on because of HBO policies. And I tried to do Comic View with that liquor sponsors. and like, true, yeah, damn. Yeah, so that I was thinking that they wouldn't like, but I was still like, you know, Fat Tuesdays, the comedy, like I was a kid, like comedy act theater, I was a kid, but I was, that was my, I was a gimmick, you know what I mean? I was a little kid doing jokes of, in adult settings. So from that, developing an act from about 12 to 15, and I was, I became a regular at the comedy store in the improv in Hollywood. I would literally drive two hours from San Diego after school, catch a ride, I couldn't even drive. I was, somebody drove me a train, something like that and then stand outside and wait to get on stage for two minutes and have to be back at school. And that would be what my whole set was about. I'll put like my hat at the end of the stage and be like, nigga need some gas money. <laughs> like that was like the whole, whole joke. Um, but from there, some of the producers from Nickelodeon 
saw me and I'm like, yo, there's this 15 year old kid on stage and clearly we make shows for 15 year olds and you know, this was the time of all that and Keenan and Kale and I was I was in awe of them because I was like, yo, I'm out here hustling, y'all out there getting it. Yeah. So I would like see Keenan and his manager and they they uh they really put me on, but I, they put me on in a way where I became the audience warm-up. Mm. The the person like when you go to a taping of a show, a show taping take about four to six hours. There has to be somebody that entertains the audience during those down times and breaks. So I became I was the youngest audience warm-up at like 15, 16 years old. They allowed me to start writing and be in the writer's room and kind of was showing me the ropes. And, you know, by the time I was 17, you know, like I said, I started doing warm-up at 16. By the time I was 17, I had, you know, all thankful to, you know, my big bro Keenan and Kale and all of them. They they allowed me to write episodes. Mm-hmm. And then I started working on other shows. I started developing my own stuff and was in the writer's guild at like 17 years old. So it was a... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. If I was the youngest. I don't know if there's anybody been younger since then, but at 17 years old, I was a staff writer. So at that point, you're, I mean, not an adult yet. So, like, yeah. who's negotiating the contracts for you? Like, now you're a full-fledged employee. It's interesting because I was a transitional period because when I'm hustling, I'm my manager. I'm my manager. I'm my producer, my writer, the director on stage. I can do it all myself. And I would get people from the neighborhood to help fund things, buy me a drum machine, drive me to the comics, all of that stuff. But then once I got into the space on um, uh, all that and Nickelodeon, I still have the same manager from when I was 16 to this day. Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's a brother by the name of Michael Goldman who saw me then and still I rock with him now. And it's so luckily I, ne- I never had really any of the tragic stories. I mean, before it was some grimy stuff, you know, as a kid, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but I've had, you know, same lawyer, same manager, pretty much same, you know, accountant and business manager since I was 16 years old. Since the beginning. Yeah. That's rare. Very rare. Yeah, right. very rare. And then, I mean, and, that, and a lot of people say that's a testament because I, I do believe in loyalty. I do believe, you know, celebrating and dancing with who you came to the party with. You know what I mean? There's value to that. Mm-hmm. Just when you just think about character. Uh, you often see a lot of people jumping from relationship to relationship, but then they get mad when those different relationships aren't loyal to them. If you rock with who you came to the party with, there that's a real sense. You, ain't nobody ever going to get it right all the way. And there probably are some things that are like, man, if I would have went and got with this person and figured out how to do this, I might have been able to do this a lot quicker. But luckily, I feel like I was really blessed to get, you know, a, a, a A1, you know, strong team from the beginning that kind of knew the direction and we grew together, you know what I mean? And um, I, you know, there's, there's, you you have growing pains. There's probably certain things that there's, I could do, I mean, we'll probably talk about it today. There's several things where my team didn't understand what I was doing or why I was even spending money here, wasting money here that obviously turned out to be quite lucrative, but they, they gave me the respect even as a young man, to say, okay, he has a vision and we're going to support and follow that vision. So you didn't have the hard, because you always hear a lot of hard stories in sports entertainment of people getting taken advantage of from their business managers, from their accountants. Yeah. Um, you know, we interviewed Fat Joe. He went to jail for tax evasion because of an issue with an accountant. Steve Harvey's well-documented. We were just talking about that. About yeah. that. You know, $22 million he said got stolen from that situation, or he had to pay taxes, $22 million. So... Did you see that happening with some of your peers? And like, interestingly enough, and I, like, and I think we were talking about this off camera. Um, I don't have.
have the horror stories of anybody uh, stealing from me, but I do have the horror stories of being irresponsible uh, and losing it more than once, losing, a, not having, going broke, not having the bread, being a kid, mm -hmm. uh, people warning me from accountants and, you know, I, I did, I think early on, um, as a teenager, getting my first check, I was signed to Will Smith after all of that, you know, every, the music the Nicol for the everything, like, so once he said, you know, I was, I was creating a little buzz at like, like I said, 16, 17, 16 years old in Atlanta, they had this comedy festival that Jamie Foxx used to put on called Laugh of Palooza in the nineties. And that's kind of one of those spots where you can get on and get a deal. Good. And, you know, I rocked that joint in Will Smith's company. Uh, was there and they got the tape and showed it to Will and Will was like, yo, I want to meet that kid. And then as soon as I got back to L.A., took a meeting up at NBC where, you know, where they did the Fresh Prince. And, but that, by this time, he was already like, it was like late 90s. He was Big Willie style. He was the biggest movie star in the world. So he walked in the room and like, within five minutes, I had pitched him a TV show, my album, all of that stuff. And he was like, yo, you remind me so much of me. He was like, I'm gonna sign you up for everything. And gave me like my first deal. And I feel like it was like $200,000, something like that. But I'm 16, 17. Like, I'm like, this is the most, I'm rich. You know what I mean? So. So from that, I'm like, I got we got a six episode commitment on the WB. It was supposed to come on right after the Jamie Foxx show. Same showrunner as the Jamie Foxx show. Will Smith producing it. Quincy Jones was on the set. Well, everybody, everybody's involved. I was lit. Yeah. You know what I mean? So first I got that check. I went and bought me a brand new Range Rover. Will had one too. I was like, I'm getting the same thing you got. He was like, don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, what you mean don't do that? Like you just, I got six episode commitment. I'm making crazy money every episode if it goes through yeah. uh you gave me the advance i'm got i got a record deal coming out we flying private i'm rocking with you like i thought i was on and then he would tell me the horror stories of when you know he won a grammy and lost all his money and went broke and i'm like that ain't gonna happen to me because i got you, <laughs> you know I mean? that's like, the biggest difference <laughs> right and but he's like no i'm trying to tell you don't do it and like so many people even the the business manager i had at the time like he was like yo you really want to spend you know at the time like i'm i'm 200 I'm, I'm not knowing about taxes all that stuff he was like yo if you buy this range rover <laughs> Like, that's kind of all your money. <laughs> <You're trying> to... <laughs> like, Don't be living in it. Right. <laughs> and as a teenager, and it's funny, man, like, obviously the show didn't get picked up. You know what I mean? That was heartbreaking. I'm a teenager. I don't know. He told everybody at school I'm about to be on after Jamie Foxx, Will Smith. Like, and we shot the pilot, but for whatever reason, they didn't, you know, they didn't pick up the show. And I would say by the time, you know, because I was by the time I, everything, I had it, I was fly 18. But at this time, before uh, my 19th birthday, I totaled that car mm. and couldn't get another one. And like literally was back living at my mom's house, back driving my mom's car. And it was just like, man, I, luckily I learned that lesson or one lesson. Like, Early, there's yeah. many lessons to learn, but I learned that lesson. At, uh, you know, early on, and I was obviously able to get some more opportunities and things like that, but spent the whole check, you know what I mean? Everything uh, on an item that I really didn't own that depreciated, and by the time I crashed it, couldn't even, you know, that it, I, I, I was joyriding good for a couple of months. But then, you know, I'm, I'm back in my mom's little cougar or <laughs> Pontiac, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it was, 
it was it was something that was it broke my ego it, it, it kind of even early on taught me lessons of like having the the perseverance and, and the resilience but it was a hard lesson to understand especially when you got the biggest movie star in the world telling you you know don't do pay attention don't yeah. do this and clearly i don't know more than him at that time you know what i mean still to this day I don't know more than him but it's like in that in that process of just wanting to show what we got or wanting to show the success and i'm a teenager mm -hmm. so it's things like that that i have a lot of those horror stories i don't have i don't really have horror stories of people stealing from me but i have horror stories of making you know like mature decisions late late, late like, 90s yeah, this was like, yeah, like, it was a process probably from like 97 to 99. Um, like I said, I was from 17 to 19 years old is, is probably when I, I learned my first big lesson of, of how to structure yourself. I, I think the difference in what your stories are is the accountability piece. Yeah. Like you're saying like, no, they didn't do it. It was me. Yeah. It's self-destruction. Yeah. But the, the other part is the perseverance part. So like, obviously you started out in the television with Nickelodeon and Nick and Knight, but you transitioned to film. And so I'm wondering, is, is Will the impact story that said, all right, we got to transition for that? Or because I mean, even at the young age of thinking of a show and naming it Loose Cannon, Cannon with yeah. your name, I hear ownership already, you're thinking that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so how did you transition to, to film as opposed to, to being TV? This, it's interesting because I didn't even differentiate between the two. I just always was writing. I was like, I have to create. I understood IP and intellectual property from the gate and I think that's that's a little bit of the hustler in me but that's also a little bit of the the artist and probably the stand-up comedian in me knowing that I gotta write my own material I gotta produce my like I was never really a dude that could I didn't get stuff off of auditions like I tried to go through the process and you know, I'm a decent actor and I can get it you know but I was just was I felt like I always had more to offer and I would get in those rooms and it just wouldn't, but I'd, I'd be like, you know what, I'm, that's not for me. Like that's, to me, a lot of the audition process and love to everybody who is successful in that space, but I always saw that as like, that's like the um, the worker ant mentality. You know what I mean? You get a you get a call, you gotta show up, hopefully you, get, you do great and you get the job. Where I more had like the soldier ant thing, where like I gotta blaze my own trail. I'm not gonna follow with the normal things. I'm gonna go create something produce it and then people will come to me and then I'll be able to own it and finance it and all of those different things. So I, from early on, I was writing my own pilots. I was writing my own TV shows. I was writing movie scripts. And people would be like, yo, this kid is 18, 19 years old. And I was optioning, you know, movie scripts to, to studios, you know, just because I was young and fresh and it was, they had never really seen anybody do that. And luckily I was surrounded with people where it legitimized what, I was actually doing it wasn't you know and anybody could say oh i got a script idea but luckily i was surrounded by people like no nah, that's a good idea develop that here do this here and i learned through that process of surrounding myself with other creatives uh and learn from them so even in that film transition which even will was quite helpful in that too i mean this is a great example right. but the goal was to just write my own way create my own way and even still to this day like i'm never thinking about Ooh, what job can I get? It's like, oh, what job can I create? And that's really, you know, that's that's probably the secret to the sauce right there. I, I don't think we've had that conversation um, to date, but that process of writing a script and pitching it to a network, 
What's that process like, right? Like, because I mean, I'm sure you're shipping, shopping it to multiple different studios. Yeah, it's different now too. Yeah. It, it changes. You know, back then it was, you know, you utilize the agencies and whoever was your a agent, you would hopefully they had the relationships to get you into the rooms to or get your script into the room, and you know, you would, they would read it over and over and get it as polished as possible. And, then somebody would read it and, you know, go out to town and hopefully somebody bought it, you know. Uh, and film and television was different. You know, te television was probably even more like getting a staff writing position or opportunity to work on a really cool show. And, and if you got, you know, once you worked on the show, then you write a couple episodes and people, you know, respected your voice. And then therefore that's how you got jobs around the town. Um, but now especially when you see, you know, the brilliant minds of, like, the Issa Rays, and, you know, when you see uh, amazing shows like Abbott Elementary, and, like, these are people who started off as creators, and you've seen them online first, and you saw them do and then all of a sudden, they, the new model is they did it themselves. Cool yeah, and then the networks and the platforms came running to them. So, and it's funny, because I've been preaching that to people for years, like, Forget going and pitching it. They don't get hot, and they're going to come to you. Like an artist, like a music artist. Simple as that. I tell everybody that, like, if you want to, like, yo, I need I need to network. Like, fuck networking. <laughs> like, <laughs> networking is a waste of time, in my opinion. Go go perfect your craft. And then the, all those rooms that you want to get into, they're going to be calling to get at you. Because you're the gift. You're the anomaly. You're the talent. It's like you, you instead of trying to... That's a lot of time people spend time trying to get hot as supposed to trying to create the true solid foundation of what creates the heat. So it's like it once you and like you said, it's just like music. When when you are the guy, they gonna find they gonna find you. And like and that's the beauty of anything where hip hop is today. And people are always like, oh, all you gotta do is be a drug dealer and then you know make music and you on but the essence of that is there's an authenticity of these tales that these people are telling because you the hot guy in your neighborhood mm -hmm. you the hot guy on the block you put in the work you did the time so now that's a level of respect and admiration that us as a culture honor and then from there now you could sell me whatever you can, you know what I mean? Like, you know, Jay-Z is probably the perfect model of that to where it's like, once you're your authentic self, the world is gonna desire what you have to give. And if you never shake off your square, that's that's value, that's character, that's something that you, you can't teach. So I mean, in that same sense, when you're building IP, when you're, when you're coming up with an idea, it's like, be authentic to what it is and stop trying to chase shit. And if you stop trying to chase it and really work on what your passion is or work on what you you know your purpose is, then everything else is gonna fall in alignment. That's what Ross has a great line, he said, uh, being self made give me so much leverage. And that's true. It's like even in negotiations, it's like you have so much more leverage mm -hmm. when you don't need something because you've actually built it organically as opposed to just coming and them just telling you. And the first is. time you do it, it ain't gonna be fly. It ain't gonna be what it what the potential is, but the fact that you did it on your own, you had that fortitude that it's like, oh wow, there's something there. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. like like Tyler Perry, a great example. You know what I mean? Yeah, like the best example. The, like he can't nobody tell him nothing. 
You know what I mean? And even over the years where it's like, oh, that's just a Tyler Perry movie. Now we love, appreciate, and respect everything Tyler Perry has ever done from the beginning because we watch, you watch the, the process. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and now to see everything that he does is a a one. You know what I mean? And what, you, however you you feel about it, you gotta respect every aspect of his artistry. You gotta respect every aspect of his business and the fact that he still continues to have the same drive. Yeah. Like that type of stuff is like. I feel like you can't teach it. You I know what it. I mean? It's I like it. you have to be like, all right, I'm gonna get up and I'm gonna do this. Yes. And you yeah. just have to do it, and you'll learn a- along the way. But you just have you have to have that that gumption from the gate to be like, I'm gonna jump out here and I'm gonna just believe in myself yeah. and do it. It's the, it's the theory of the imperfect action. Yeah. Right. And, just and, just do it. It's never gonna be perfect, but people will grow with you. They'll watch the growth and appreciate and appreciate it because they feel like, yo, I watched when those guys were sitting in the dining room. And it's the best form of education, too, because you learn from... As you go. So let me ask you this. All right, speaking of this this ownership situation, 2005, you changed the game. Yeah. You have an idea, you come out with a show called Wild and Out. Yeah. Um, so everybody knows the show Wild and Out. The first conversation I want to have is the business behind it. So I got some information, I'm not sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. So um, you, you sold the show to MTV, but you still kept ownership and licensed it. Like, can you explain? Yeah, that's the whole... That's the whole... Everything I just was talking about. I mean, at the time I was, I I, I was hot. You know what I mean? I was. <laughs> Wait, we got so drumlines already. Yeah, drumlines out. You know, my music is out. I'm doing my thing, and like people are really trying to make me focus in those spaces. They kind of like leave TV alone because at the time, you couldn't do it all. So everybody was like, "Yo." focus on being the movie star focus and i was like nah i got this idea and it was really to put my friends on because i'm still doing stand-up i'm still you know making beats and signing people like i was like yo i got this concept of pretty much what we do backstage mm-hmm. you know and i got cats i rock with like kevin hart and apion crockett d-ray davis cat williams these are people that we're we freestyling in, in, on the block in front of the comedy club. And I'm like, yo, then they're literally like, man, when you gonna put us on? <laughs> you, when you gonna put us in, in, in a movie? And I'm like, yo, this is a show right here. So I rented out a comedy club um, and rented cameras. Got, we, we gotta get context. At that time, these guys are not the guys we no, are now. No, you know, nobody knows yeah, who like, these guys You're the guy. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, they don't, you know, this is before Soul Plane. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah. before Friday. This is before any of that stuff. Um, and I'm like, yo, I got funny friends. I got friends, super talented friends. Yeah. And, of course, I grew up watching everything that we all watch in, in Living Color and you know, Def Jam, Uptown Comedy Club, uh, and even Who's Line, all of these things where I was inspired by all of that stuff, but I was like, yo, we don't have something for our generation for us to literally wild out, like just to do what we wanna do. And MTV didn't understand it, you know, before I shot, I tried to pitch it, they were like, we wanna do something with you, you know what I mean? (laughs) Where's the music component? (laughs) Yeah, this was like, you know, cause I had already hosted TRL a bunch, They were trying to, you know, you want to do jams and, you know, like, oh, I'm like, I'm cool, I can host, but that's not really my vibe. I'm a comedian, I'm a rapper, like, and they were like, well, you know, we got this guy, Ashton Kutcher, he's doing this punk show, and you want, I'm like, I said, let me do my own thing. And uh, I spent my own money. I, again, I'm somewhere, it's probably somewhere around 100, 150,000, something like that. Mm-hmm. Put it all together, edited, created the logos. 
put the presentation tape together and they loved it when they saw it. And they was like, yo, this is, they was like, we want to invest more. Uh, we want to enhance it. But luckily my team and myself and even, you know, thinking, I was like, well, I know that I spent my own money. So I know that's, I, I came to y'all once and you guys didn't want to do it. And I was asking for you to fund it. I funded it and got it right. And now I, I have the the superior negotiation. Yeah, so I want to keep this. And I got, you know, amazingly, <laughs> they allowed, they were like, fine, you know. And it was, at the time, they were like, obviously they own the content. And that's what they were concerned about. I was like, I want to own the brand. I want to own, because I saw like the logo was dope. Yeah. The, I, I had a vision of what it could be. I was thinking curriculum and, and improv comedy schools like Second City and uh, Groundlings. I was I was thinking that that space. So I was like, if I own Wild and Out, then I can take it to Vegas. I could do. I was thinking all of these things, you know, back in in two thousand five. And they let me. It was like, yeah, you could have Wild and Out. And that's why, if you notice, the show has always been called Nick Cannon Presents Wild and Out. So it was like, I was letting you know, like, this is mine. <laughs> and we made that known from the gate. And so, interestingly enough, like, you know, 2007 came. We had did 50 episodes. It kind of went away. I took a break. I was, got married, all of that type of stuff. And then when I brought it back again, still having ownership of it. And even at this time, because I was thinking about doing like a kid version on Nickelodeon. I, was, I didn't really have it, but I was like, I knew I wanted to bring it back. But in bringing it back, I had to go to the market to sell it to get money to do it again because even MTV's business had changed and we said if you remember when I brought it back I brought it back to MTV too True. yeah yeah so and that was like the hip hop uh, it was like the urban side yeah of yeah the, of so the network. even then having ownership with it you know I was thinking all of the different various platforms I, I had a vision that it would ultimately be a restaurant and, and a tour so I was selling even that aspect even back then but it's you know business is business in 2017 they after I had done the tours and was developing the restaurants and had had merch in Macy's and you know Foot Locker every different you know we were the brand was making money and when Viacom took notice like yo hold up he's making money off of something like they like we own that right and we was like well. <laughs> Not necessarily. And then so, you know, negotiations and we figure it all out. But even now, we're partners. You know what yeah. I mean? In that sense to where, and there's, there's no better partner to have than a billion dollar company. Because now we can continue to develop restaurants together. We can continue to develop different IP off of that. We continue to make tours and movies and things of that nature. But I've always had that leverage because from the very beginning of when I started, I, I paid for it myself. So, they own the content. You own the brand. But Early after a while, it kind of merged. Where they now they're partners with you in the brand as well. As well, yeah. And yeah. you know they 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 had to they got to pay for that. You yeah. know what I mean? Like they were, you know it was yeah. it was uh, some some very strategic and interesting negotiations. But that's ultimately what you want. That's saying okay, I've, I've increased the value of this brand, and now you see the value in it. So now you got to pay me if you want to be a part of it. So when it airs, obviously you said they own the content, you own the brand. I wonder how that works when the show gets syndicated, because like now. I but that's yeah, that, that's part of the negotiation too. Gotcha. And and because it's funny because you bring syndication up. 
that business model is different now as well too because the world of what syndication used to be is oh you make a hundred episodes or something and you can get a hundred million dollar check um a la Seinfeld, Friends. I Love Lucy, Friends, right. all of that type yeah. of stuff. But now there's so many more platforms. And, like, like that's light work to Netflix. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. now they want your whole catalog. And, like I said, we're, we've already surpassed 300 episodes of Wild and Out. Now we're looking to build the Wild and Out channel. Mm-hmm. Now we're looking to build the Wild and Out network. Because not only can we run, and you see it, you see it out there, we can run Wild and Out 24-7. And you'll never see the same episode. There's no repeats. You know what I mean? Yeah. Because it's that many episodes. Yeah. So let me ask you this. So as far as, all right, so when it was taken off of the air and they tried to start a new show, how did that work? Because I know you you still had the ownership right Yeah, well, see, by that time, because that was 2020, so I had already, we already had a, a deal of weird partners now, so, and that's why a lot of that was kind of, it was, it, it kind of broke my heart a little bit because, like, yo, we just, we just got down. You know what I mean? Like, we, we really just kind of, figured it all out and then now we're in a scenario to where it's it's not really what we agreed upon yeah and then so but i think a lot of it too was it was speculative in what we people just like they started creating their own narratives so you know i i think it was always of an understanding that business is going to be business and we're going to figure it out i i got hot-headed initially like i'm gonna keep it a stack with you when it all went down i was like man fuck all that like i was really you know I me mean? i was on my pro black guy you know what i mean like talking to puff and we like you know like we uh, we are we you know and oh, by a black man. yeah i was i was on yeah. I, which is how we should be yeah but also in that understanding was that I started to realize that I had created a brand that was feeding hundreds, if not thousands of people and giving them opportunities. Right, right. But I was so ready to step away from while and I didn't want to do it no more. I'm like 40 years old. I mean, I, this, I like, you know what? This is good for this. Is some Chappelle shit. I'm going to go ahead and go to Africa. <laughs> like, like Keep we, that 50 mil. Yeah, yeah. Like, and even, yeah. and that's, I always tell people this, like, and, Shouts out to Dave, because I learned a lot from Dave in that situation, because I was on the road with Dave when all of that went down, and so I saw his whole whole get down, but that was a speculative 50 million. Mm-hmm. That was, if you do this, you will get 50 million. I walked away <laughs> literally from that level of money, if not more, mm-hmm. and just was like, I'm good. And it's like, I did that, you know, at America's Got Talent, I did that this time around so people in the industry know like oh he's not afraid to just walk away and not only is he not afraid to just walk away he'll walk away and create something else that will make him more money than the thing that he walked away from yeah i want i mean that's interesting because america's got talent obviously you were the host yeah number one show on tv I wonder at, at a certain and executive producer at the time. Come on, so that's, 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 yeah, that's, <laughs> I always saw your name at the end. Too. <laughs> so are you going into some of those opportunities with the mindset of equity? Because I know ownership is a big thing for you. Because you went from that to now, like my favorite show with my family that we watched, The Mass Singer. Yeah. And so, like, are you positioning yourself in those types of scenarios where it's like, all right, I'll do this. Maybe I'll take less on the pay, but I need equity in this. Hundred percent. Or I mean, it goes even. It's even more than that because. Again, I don't like when people offer me jobs. Mm. You know what I mean? Like right. I don't like I don't like jobs. I like to create. I like to work. 
You know what I mean? I like to be a part of something, but I like to work on something that I created. And and in that sense of learning from America's Got Talent, like I came front when I first started America's Got Talent NBC, that was a job. I got a job. It was a great paying job. But I had did so many seasons and negotiations and brought my sauce to it. So by then I'm a producer on the show and now I'm thinking with deals, I'm thinking like, all right now. I love Simon Cowell, that's my brother. I need my own America's Got Talent. And I'm watching him print money and it's the biggest show in the world and it's Britain's Got Talent. And every, everybody's Got Talent. And he's like, it's the biggest franchise in television. I'm like, all right, if I get an opportunity, my next deal, I'm, I'm now, even to this day, I'm thinking, what's my next big IP like that? What's my next show? What's my next mass Singer? So even when I went into the deal when I left NBC, and went to Fox. I, they they would come in and pitch all different type of stuff, and I'm like, I only want I want the next big thing. I got to figure it out, and I had to have the insight and the understanding. And you know, I chose the Mass Singer, and still the number one show on television in that space. So it's yeah. like, you just I mean, obviously I ain't gonna act like I've got this I'm this wizard when it comes, <laughs> but it's a, there, there's definitely some alignment that has to go go along with the process. But it's also about you know sticking your neck out and saying I'm gonna take this chance. So right. That's your show. Yeah, the mass singer. Yeah, I'm executive producer. So are you involved in the other? There's like I saw like there was one the, day with the ice mass dancers. The mass dancers. Like, yeah, are you involved yeah. in that the franchise in that sense? I think at the time it's no longer. That was that was a good idea that we tried. Yeah. But it's like you know I think where I, what I wish I could be involved in is the same thing because it actually started. The reason why I even chose that show it wasn't an original concept. It was a a, a Korean show. I was like, it felt like it came from. Yeah, like, yeah. Asia. And yeah. we I just put the American sauce on it. Yeah. So. If I was able to participate in every single one of the mass singers around the world, it's a billion dollar business. Yeah. So now my goal is like, all right, how do I create an original idea in that sense that has that same level of success? And that's, you know, that's where my deals are set up now to where like that's that's the goal to come up with that that next mass singer that incredible and you know, I own hundred percent. So in a sense, well, now really is the billion dollar business. Exactly. Right? Exactly. You got the touring, 100%. you got the merch. The restaurants. Restaurants. Yeah. Brick and mortar. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, you I, I read that it's coming to Harlem, like the brick and mortar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, well, first we're going to do Hollywood first. Hollywood, okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's our next one. And then the goal, I mean, you know, I've been trying to build... And, and kind of invest in Harlem for the you know, last few years. We appreciate that. Yeah, <laughs> I love man, it's the crib, yeah. and and so and able to do that, it's it's needed. You know what I mean? And it's it's where we, it's the mecca. It's 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 the nucleus of all of our entertainment culture. So to be able to feed back into that space. You know, and then probably we'll go from Atlanta and then different different spaces. And, you know, I got some great business partners that are helping me, you know, build that. And I always say, like, a, one of the people who, like, again, I wasn't the first person to think of it. You know, Magic Johnson was another person who knew how to invest into our communities and saw the value in our communities and was investing in Harlem, put Magic Johnson theaters up there before they started, you know, gentrifying the area. You know what I mean? He was investing. He was putting Starbucks in the hood. He was putting theaters in the hood, TGI Fridays. And I'm like, 
I just want to do that. Like, can I do what Magic did? <laughs> like, and that's when I, I, you know, when I sit down and have my meeting, I'm like, I don't want to do what Quincy did. I want to do what Magic did. You know, like, and it's just yeah. really learning from the guys that did it before us. But now we have so much more opportunities yeah. to, to do Learning it. and executing. Exactly. Well, let me ask you this. As far as the um, real estate play, you invested in real estate early as far as, like, in Los Angeles, I believe. Some yeah, yeah. areas that, you know, wasn't obvious to the eye. So talk about your real estate portfolio and what made you get into real estate. Only thing about real estate, because I'm going to say, I probably, and I would love to have the real estate success story, but I probably lost as much money in real estate as I've, as I've made money because I was investing in times of, in like 2008, you know what I mean? And we too, all, too high, you brought it, too high. Or even just like, like another thing that I've learned is like, especially when you, uh, you become a part of these investment groups and real estate organizations, which are good because you can put in a little bit of money or a certain amount and still have ownership and see great upside. Um, but what do you really own? You know what I mean? When 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 you're a part of land that a hundred people a hundred people own, it's like a syndicate. Yeah, mm -hmm. little... you know what I mean? Like it's cool to say I own that. It's cool to drive by and say, are you cool to go to this restaurant? That, 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 that doorknob? That's my <laughs> yeah, it's cool to say that, but I mean, like, how much of that is really just vanity? How much of that is really just the ego to being like, oh, yeah, I've invested in 17 hotels. And, you know, like, there's, I feel like there's different levels of real estate. Yeah. Um, and well, even in, you know, buying homes, which, you know, is, as we all know, can be quite lucrative, but can also, depending on where the market is, you can find yourself upside down. In it. And it's like, I always tell people to invest in land, but if I'm really talking investment, I say invest in IP before land. Yeah. Um, land is great to have, but at the end of the day, you know, we're going, that's, that's going to be the levels of wealth on how it's measured, but you got to really own it. And then when you say you really own it, what does that really mean? You know what I mean? Like, yeah. what can you do with that land? Like, I've, I've owned property where, you know, I own the building, but I don't own the land. Like, how does that even work? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like it's certain things like that where there's structures now to where I'm still learning that process because early on, people are like, oh, you got to invest in here. Or put your money here. Or put your money right. there. And it sounds good. It feels good. And I've learned from a lot of these individuals who who built these investment groups or who own half of Hollywood. And I'm learning. I'm like, I don't put in on that. But like, I when we're having the conversations about returns, I'm like, wait a second. Like, not, I know. gave you this. And Somebody get that calculator. Yeah, yeah. You, you invited me to a bunch of cool parties. Wait, what? But do I get my money back? That's the Joe Pesci in uh, Casino. Yeah. I think I want my money back. <laughs> I think I want my money back. So, uh, again, I'm, I'm learning. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it, it's, it's an even, like, with wilding out. Like, it's like, as we build brick and mortar and restaurants, it's like... I guarantee you, and, you know, we all saw, you know, the, the McDonald's movie with Michael Keaton and stuff. Like, it was like, you know, they were, that was a real estate play. Yep. And it was a great way to start. But, I, you know, now looking at it, the IP of McDonald's is probably worth way more than those, that real estate land that they were focusing on at that time. So I'm seeing the bigger picture. Like, all right, if I can make Wildin' Out the billion-dollar company, uh... And the brick and mortar, where we're not looking to buy the land, we're looking to put wilding out in these facilities that 
we lease at the time and, and, and understand it as we franchise this space out, looking to build the next TGI Fridays or Hooters or, you Dave know. Dave Busters. Something. Yeah, Dave and Busters. Yeah. Like, there's never been a franchise hip-hop sports bar. You might have one here and there, yeah. but one to where it's in this at the same level as a Dave and Busters or at the same level as, you know, a Fridays or something of that nature. It's like... That's where my mindset is opposed to like, all right, how do I invest in in real estate? Because real estate, when we sit in conversations like this, it sounds like, at least, it Se- sounds cool to say. Sexy word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I yeah. own this and this. And yeah, yeah. Like, my portfolio. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, or even yeah. like, you know, how many homes you have. And, you know, we have all go through this. You want to buy your mama home, my grandma, my, my pops. I want to make sure. But even... It's that level of like, all right, am I getting you into the home and we owning it how 100% we got deeds? Are we playing the, the real estate mortgage game? Oh. And then, you know, I'm up this year, but I'm up, where am I at next year? So I've kind of done my ups and downs in that space too. And like I said, we, we learning and growing, but I, I invest most of my time, energy, and money into the, the IPs. But also, like, also with the IPs, it's also about valuations as well. I was just thinking that. So now it's like, okay, you're building up this, your portfolio and in, in, in the restaurants, in the touring, and now it's like, that's bringing in, let's say, $100 million. Now you get a 10x valuation. Now, that's a million, now, you, now you can actually take it public yeah. to the stock market. And that was my thing, because once, yeah. once we said Dave and Buster's, I think I knew the answer to the question. <laughs> And I'm like, let me just see. Like, yeah. are we thinking publicly traded? That's obviously because it's my partners with Viacom, so that's it. Ah, but, okay. but to your point, you know, the brand of Incredible. That's, that was going there next. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have to, right? Because I'm thinking, like, yeah, that brand definitely has a trajectory to be billion dollars. Yeah, so yeah. We can see it. Incredible. I looked at the list of things that you do. I'm like, wait, this also has the type of And this is assets. what created that. Right. So we got... I don't want to miss it. No, I'll let I, you th- I think I got entertainment, <laughs> entertainment yeah. studios, motorsports, backpack collection, and a Jesus. line of ties. Yeah, fitness. Fitness. Headphones. Jesus. Yeah, headphones. Uh, that's where that's where I really figured it out. You know, we I think we did close to like 200 million in sales in headphones from like 2010 to date. And I was like, oh, this is real. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. This is a brand where. You can figure out, you can diversify it in many different ways. And now even uh, selling the idea of what we built in in the process of like, you know, I started Incredible in 2009. I mean, I had productions and things of like that before, but 2009 is when I was like this in with the goal of building it up in a way to where it has, it not only did I build IPs up under it, but then it has its own evaluation to where this is, in my, my mind was like, I'm trying to build the next Sony. I'm trying to build the next Apple. Like, oh, at that, you know, 2009, it was Sony. You know what I mean? Today, yeah. it's Apple. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, I feel like there's something there in, because I know I'm gonna have to be in business with the Viacoms or the Foxes or the NBCs to create shows with them. But if Incredible is what creates the show, then now something that I created that I I own 100% can now have that, that right evaluation. So let's talk about this headphone situation. $200 million, I don't want to just breeze over that. What's the, what's the I, science on that? It's funny because obviously, I mean, granny, um, I got into the headphone business with the, the, the brilliant mind of Noel Lee who created Monster, which also created, you know, Beats by Dre early mm-hmm. on. And so, like, 
he's he's the godfather of the space and it was around the same time when it actually had, i'll tell the story it's funny me and jimmy Iovine was super cool i had a couple of acts sign over at interscope and uh i remember i was trying i was in his office and I was trying to get one of my acts, you know, some more money. <laughs> you know what I mean? Feel like I don't know. He was trying to shoot videos, and like there was an offshoot. They was they had a movie deal. I'm like, yo, I just need you to really get these kids a shot. And he was like, I'll do whatever you want to do, but you just gotta put these headphones on these kids, and we gotta develop something for Nickelodeon. And I'm gonna need you to do me a favor in a couple couple weeks oh. with these headphones. I'm like, alright, you just go as long as you like like that. You giving me product, <laughs> you you want to do some stuff. And I remember I get the call like a couple weeks later. He's like, yo, Dr. Dre doesn't want to leave his house. I need you to go to Florida. <laughs> I need you to go to Florida and do what you do on TV for the Home Shopping Network. I want you to like host it like you're, you're, you're hosting you know, one of your shows and just talk about how great the headphones are. Robin Thicke is gonna be there, he's gonna sing. Uh, you're gonna talk about the headphones. Dre's gonna call you on the phone and you're gonna talk to Dre from his house about how great these headphones are. And I was like, all right. So I fly down to Florida. That that's exactly what happened. Robin Thicke performed. I talked to Dre's like little setting like this. We were talking about how great these headphones are. Headphones sell through the roof. Record breaking numbers on the Home Shopping Network. And that's the story that they use to to propel Beats by Dre. And like literally when that show was over, he called me, he was like, Kid, you are great. Whatever you need, you know what I mean? Uh you're signing your acts, all that. Like me and Jimmy hit off. The next phone call I got was from Noel Lee. And he was like, yo, you are amazing. He's like, but you should have your own headphones. <laughs> and I was like, you right. <laughs> and uh, so at the same time, while they were building Beast by Dre, I was building Incredible. And where Beast by Dre cost $300 plus, mine cost $99. Whoa. So they went to all of the high-end stores. We went to Walmart. And the same, same product. You know what I mean? Like, and like, we made like smaller versions first before, like, cause the beats by Dre were super big. Yeah. Ours were smaller, but we also did the bigger ones. And because of the Walmart business, that was the bulk of the business out the gate. So, yeah. but nobody really, like, we were the, we were Walmart. You know what yeah. I mean? So every, like, Beast by Dre was sexy. They got, we did commercials and all of that stuff too. And we, we was, we was having fun. We was getting to the bag, but it wasn't the Beast by Dre story. And again, in learning business, Beats by Dre figured it out. Jimmy figured it out. Left Noel, however it was, sold it to another company. Then that company gave him three hundred million and, and sold it to Apple. Up. Built Billion game dollars. over. Yeah. Me, I was like, I'm gonna rock with Noel. You know what I mean? And then from there, I could bring and stay with Noel. And then my next play. No offense, but I I went and took mine to Radio Shack, <laughs> and then uh, uh, but it was a, again a, an affinity brand. I was like, ooh, maybe I could flip this, having the dreams of like, oh, imagine there's still brick and mortar Radio Shacks at the time. I feel like there was like two thousand of them. I was like, ooh, maybe I and we started doing multiple. Like I, at, there was a moment where I had like. 10 or 12 different products in Radio Shack. Yeah. And it was my store. I was, you know, the you know, the chief creative officer when those titles were being thrown around and it was it was a vibe. We was doing commercials and I I was in Radio Shack as well as Office Depot too. <laughs> so that's how we did backpacks and school supplies. Yeah. So were you were you looking at it at, from the standpoint of like they're in Best Buy, 
I'll go here. Hundred percent. Got you. Like in in a, the the margins were better here too. Yeah. Like even in the well, I mean the margins weren't better because obviously they were making the same product and they were selling for three times as high. Yeah. But the bulk, they were Walmart was ordering way more because they're Walmart and because the price was was a lot less. So we, but that you know obviously when learning and getting into the weeds of the business when you you know to do sixteen colorways of the same headphone. You might get the big order, but when the when the ultra pink don't sell and when the, <laughs> when the camouflage don't sell, that go all back to the warehouse and you got to eat that cost. Oof. And so even when you get, you know, evaluate 200 million sales and stuff, it's like, all right, well, what do you do with that? When, you know, you, great story of how all your sales do, but when you still got a warehouse full of, full of product. Back to school sales. Yeah, right, right, and then yeah. so, and then, it, and I'm at the mercy of of all of these other distributors and manufacturers. Yeah. So, at this point in the game, and again, again, it's like based off of my energy and what I put my time and invest into. It's like, is it worth chasing headphones still to this day? Like that was. You know, ten years ago, you couldn't, you wouldn't see me without my headphones. We'd be sitting here talking all about headphones and sound and all of that. I was like, yeah, we, let's do this. Can I can my DJ set up here and give everybody headphones? But now it's like, all right. Well, when you think about, is that the billion dollar play? Is that the is or is it the the actual brand in itself? Opposed to the product that we put the brand on. So the, to the brand, talk about the brand. So the brand is broad ranging from a variety of different things, like a umbrella approach. Yeah, I think um, based off of what, and, it, and it's unique in that sense because I hate saying because it's definitely not a lifestyle brand. That was a, that was a buzzword for quite quite some time. Oh, we creating a lifestyle brand, but this is more um, an inspirational educational brand in that sense of where it gives you the opportunity to to see what i've done and be a part of that process and to be able to sit here and you know it's really i mean our our, our slogan was always be incredible so in that space of when we're operating in fitness when we're creating ip through television or film when we do have a product that may, it's like okay how do you aggregate the the process of the IP of incredible. So, and and again, I've only I've stole I'm stolen that model from the spaces like Apple, Sony. You know what I mean? Like I remember when I was like, "Yo, Sony makes TVs and the stuff that comes on TV." Like, like that. <laughs> like I want to do that. You know what I mean? Like in that sense. And you know, I remember. You know, I've been to Korea and sat with Samsung. And I remember when they were even like talking about. It's no longer gonna be about cable. It's no longer. It's gonna be like we're gonna make the TV and within the on the remotes in the TV. You, those are gonna the buttons are gonna be the new networks. Are gonna be new cable. I'm like, what are y'all talking about? Dabs. Yeah. Year later. We, it's, it's Netflix, it's Roku, it's, you know, and I'm like, wow, like, so like now even all these brands, they just trying to be the button on the remote. Mm-hmm. If you the button on the remote, you win. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and, and even in, and now, you know, even now, cause it ain't even about TV no more. So if you're the, 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 the thing, when you turn on your Apple phone, if it's, you don't even got to download it, it's already there. Yeah. Then now you got millions if not billions of people already knowing your logo your brand and what you represent so like that's the goal like that's always been you know when it when it comes to diversifying is like 
having Incredible be a household name of upper mobility. Is there something inside of the brand that you haven't acquired yet? Like you're looking at it and it's like, if we could just add this piece, this would complete our, or for the time being, complete some of our diversification. Like there's one thing that we need to add. Education. That's my whole play. Like you even really understanding of how important education is. And it's funny, like, you know, we've always used the buzz terms of like education is wealth, uh, which is very true. But I even take it a step further is like the true currency is energy. And it's like when you apply those two together to where you're putting energy into understanding and the know-how and you're giving the game. You know what I mean? Like, it's what we're doing right here. Right. You know what I mean? We all know the value of what this is. That's why there's so many people in this room. That's why they all, all getting paid. Don't, don't mind them. <laughs> no, but it's, I mean, it's yeah. what you guys are doing yeah. on a daily basis from your shows, your podcasts. You're offering education. You're offering information that is invaluable that will go on like somebody gonna be watching us sitting here 20 years from now talking and still and all of this information is valuable and like oh, they say content is king but true educational content is king like entertainment is fun yeah. everybody gonna want to sit back and turn their mind off but when it's something that allows you to grow and and shows that not only I, I took that and I became better, I became richer, I became, you know, wiser through this process. If the brand, if I can implement that and, you know, from uh, a lot of the stuff I've been doing in the HBCUs, a lot of things that you guys do, I do similar uh, in, in a similar fashion. Uh, my foundation is all about... Um, we do a youth summit annually called ATM, and it's it's really uh, American Team Moguls where we teach. We take a six week course, and we give high school students the opportunity to create uh, a business plan. We teach them what it is, how it is, and then you know we. It's almost like this this entrepreneur, young entrepreneur Olympics that we allow them to pitch it to you know uh, a board of you know everyone from people from Shark Tank to my lawyers, the Kevin Hart, you know, like we said, I set it up, you know, every year and we give grants and scholarships or seed money for whatever it is that they're funding. And it's just like that financial literacy starting at, you know, high school levels and working with HBCUs and understanding that we're just building curriculums and, I, and ideas for one, generating opportunities, but then also like truly showing this is, like I said, a brand of upper mobility. So it was ironic because I had this in my brain to ask you, but I didn't have it in my notes. And then rest in peace, Nip, they was playing him. And he, he right before we came on, he said they killed Dr. Sebi. He was teaching how. Yeah. So he was working on a documentary for Dr. Sebi. Obviously, you know, he wasn't able to complete that. Um, you picked up the baton for that? Absolutely. And it's, uh, it's funny because we had no idea that the pandemic was going to happen in the midst of it. Um, and it's still something, you know, we're in post right now. We've been in post for a while because of so many, like now, the pandemic is part of the documentary. Mm-hmm. So we've had to go back and redo interviews and talk to things, but uh, it's, a, it's a powerful story. And in that sense, um, and love and respect to both 
Nip's family as well as Dr. Sabi's family who have all been extremely helpful and cooperative in the, in this collaborative effort and wanting to do it right. And that's the thing, like, it's like we taking our time because we don't want to mess it up. And it's, it's precious information of, one, it's something that I know that my brother Nip wanted to, to put forth. Um, but then also it's this legacy of this man, Dr. Sabi, that, you know, our culture admires. And, you know, there's, there's many debates about his life and after his life and, you know, the worlds that, that he operated in as uh, a herbalist and a... a a holistic practitioner so we're we're in a space now where like we got hours and hours of footage and it's it's even more interesting because when we started it there wasn't that many buyers or platforms per se that would give you an opportunity to sell six hours or, or present six hours of content and so we started on the idea of like we're just gonna make the best award-winning hour and a half documenting we possibly can but now we have all of this footage we've been going through this process it's been a few years now mm-hmm. it's like man and you watch with you know Kanye. the Kanye doc or you watch it and you're like alright well Tim Bar series yeah you know so it's like now even the business model is, is more of an interesting way and I think we're probably still going to lean towards the process of here's the story in a very easily digestible hour and a half but then after that, what are we gonna do with all of the other footage? Because I mean, people, it's, we, so many people drop so much game and so much wisdom in here. It's like, I just wanna, my, that was my thing. It's like, it's so much. Yeah. I want everything to get in there. And it's like telling the correct narrative because you're dealing with people's legacies. So you don't wanna just throw something out there because we've seen that so many times to where the whole purpose of it is to tell the truth. If there's one thing that I've been trying to stand firm on through my entire career is authenticity and speaking truth, you know, to the detriment of sometimes it's like, yo, I'm, the the truth, people are scared of the truth. Yeah. People, the, the, sometimes the truth hurts. Sometimes the truth is, it can cause controversy. So in that sense, I want to be able to always speak truth and stand firm uh, on, on, on the truth. And, and really, it's like, in those senses, I, you know, I think of the minister even said it the best to me when he was like, a lie doesn't care who tells it, but the truth you never have to defend. So in that sense of wanting to make sure I'm always speaking truth, it takes time. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because you got to present it the right way. But even like you said, the business model of like selling to the networks, but the business model of how does that work? If he was working on something, you had to, like, pay his family? No, nah, interesting. I mean, I mean, and that's the thing, too, where, again, in, in full transparency, uh, Nip never got the opportunity. Okay. Just, he had the idea. Yeah. He never shot anything. He never might have had a few conversations. So, And the same people that he had been talking to, I've been talking to as well. And that was something that we had in common okay. of you know, Dr. Sabi's family and, you know, me being diagnosed with with lupus, uh, the family had always been reaching out to me and even through, you know, I believe it was one time, it was like, yo, you talked to them because I know you got the, like, he was really concerned about my health. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I've been talking, you know, like, you know, Dr. Sabi's, you know, original spot is right there in the hood, like, right, not too far, you know, okay. in, in South Central. So, it was always a community of that we all knew the same people. So that's kind of how, that's where 
he and I would have a lot of conversations where we would bond on. So it was only right for me to kind of be in that space. So as a person who produces content and does this, we would always, he was trying to pick my brain. I'm like, how do you do that? How do you make a documentary? How do you make a, you know, and I'm like, all right, well, I got this. I know I have everything that it takes with them incredible to do it. So I knew this is something he wanted to do, so I'm gonna make sure it gets done. Talking about uh, producing September 27, 2021. Yeah. To Nick Cannon. Where I'm, I think somebody saw your commercial, like they probably got up and walked away and went to the refrigerator. So that new process of integrating whatever it is into the content and, and then also the way we receive the content it's we're, we're walking around with devices in our pocket like built-in jukeboxes built-in movie theaters built-in advertising mechanisms in our pockets each and every day mm-hmm. that's the way that's that's going to be the way the, the old antiquated process has to go away they just don't want it to go away because there's too many billionaires that are still getting billions that way yeah, they can manipulate numbers all the time. They do? Yeah. And it's like, unless you have a forensic accountant come in, yeah. that's a whole process. And I was like, oh, yeah, this show went number one for this and got a 2.4. And I'm like, I've never seen mean? one person yeah. watch I, it. Honestly, yeah, I'm like, 2.4, does that mean 2.4 million in the country? Like, yeah. How does this work? And then, like, the core demographic really got yeah. a six, and then, like... How many people saw this shit? The only numbers that I'm looking like, how many people watch the biggest sporting event? Because that's where most of the population is watching. Right. right. Now people are watching Super Bowl on their, on their iPhone. They have different YouTube. ways to watch it, yeah. There's different ways streaming yeah, services. Before we wrap, I got to ask you about the Soul Train situation. That's a legendary vibe. Yeah. You bringing that back? Man, I was uh, originally, I had invested in one. I used to be a Soul Train dancer. And it, like that was when part of that 90s hustle. You used to go over to <laughs> yeah. Paramount and, and say, yeah, yeah. You, you did everything. Stand like outside. Forrest, like Forrest the, the it was the hustle. Showman, right? Yeah, yeah. You like the black Forrest Gump. <laughs> 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 I used to call Dick Gregory that all the time. Like, he was in everything in our culture. Um, but because I had an affinity for the brand and got a chance to know Don Cornelius and stuff, uh, there, I, there was an opportunity, you know, um, in the early 2000s, or you know, probably in the teens, where I got an opportunity to invest in Soul Train, and I was when I had my deal at NBC, and myself and Jesse Collins were producing Soul Train on, and it was going to be NBC, and I was bringing it back Saturday mornings type of vibe, and then we were going to rerun it on. Um, well, actually, we we're going to do Friday nights on NBC and rerun it on Saturday mornings on VH1, mm-hmm. and I had put that whole deal together. And then in that deal process, it just got murky, and I started, I left NBC and all of that, and then ended up, you know, selling my shares, and BET bought the whole thing. So, yeah, I st- yeah like, you still got the watch show. Yeah, 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 exactly. So now it's a, I believe it's still, you know, I know they're doing, they're, they're doing some, they're doing a, a Broadway musical that I'm a part of. They're doing, um, they're still doing great things with the brand, and it's still an iconic brand. And, you know, Questlove, who, you know, worked with me on the, when we were bringing the show back, is kind of still heading a lot of the creative stuff for that, which, you know, it's, so, it's in perfect hands with him. So, you know, wherever I can help and be of assistance, but I kind of I kind of jumped out of that business when I, when I kind of left NBC. Let me ask you this. You just did a movie with our guy Jim, Jim Jones. Shout out to Jimmy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but when you do these kind of movies, I always curious about this. Where you go? I think it went straight to BT, right? 
Uh, we we made it for uh, BH one. BH one. How does how, like? Can you give me an overview of how that business model works? Like, do you like? Do they just give you an upfront lump sum, or is it licensed where you get payment for amount of people that actually watch it? Like, There's so many different ways, but that one specifically. Uh, you know, VH1 was looking to do a, a bulk of Christmas movies. And I was so focused on Harlem. Like, I was at, we were actually looking to do a Harlem Christmas special. That's what I, I went in there pitching. Like, yo, we could do something at the Apollo, bring a lot of people from Harlem and kind of do, like, the old-fashioned Christmas specials. And it could be great. And they were like, yeah, but we're doing we're doing Christmas movies. Would you want to do one of those? Like, everything, all right. You know what I mean? So, like, I, direct i act i write so i kind of just uh in that fashion kept the same model of like people from harlem so i always wanted jim to be in it i always wanted tiana taylor i mean i have a strong gospel background so i wanted to have them and so what we originally did we kind of took the idea of what i wanted to do for the special and kind of turned it into a film but in that same regard you know i also uh, produce, write, and direct my own film projects from, you know, I did one in Jamaica with Buster Rhymes and Whoopi Goldberg and Lou Gossett Jr. called King of the Dance Hall. I did a, you know, a film about the gentrification of Inglewood and street ball and female basketball called She Ball that we did with Birdman and Chris Brown and so many in DC on Fly. So I'm always looking to fully fund my own projects. Uh, produce it from the gate it's an incredible entity and then from that point sell it to different platforms so there's those are right there two different business models where you know Viacom can say here here's X amount of millions of dollars go make this for us or I can say here I want to put up my own money and with my own idea my own IP and then put it forth so those are kind of those are those are two different models that you know as incredible we operate in all the time incredible insight <laughs> you, you've had so many, so many different stages from entertainer, activist. Now you're in your mogul phase. <laughs> it's like it's a constant evolution. Like, what's the five year vision look like? What's your what's your team and what's your what's your plans? Like, cause I feel like you're growing as a person. Yeah, it's so exciting right now, but it's so scary all at the same time. I go front because it's almost like it's changing by the day and it's growing by the day you know what i mean that just the the excitement that i have for incredible and my team and like you know the the music department is growing exponentially the the television department is growing exponentially the film department like but then also like we're saying like the evaluation of the things that we've already created like people are taking notice and really understanding so i mean i have such a, a strong and diverse team and that everybody kind of knows their lane and kind of feeds feeds it into that so i feel like that's what's allowed me to kind of you know i've always had an issue with uh delegating as you know like i always tell people like I'm a great leader, but I'm a horrible boss. Like, I, like I can, I can inspire, I can get people motivated, but like, I'm not a good boss. Like, I'm too nice. I'm too. Like, I don't care enough. Like, I don't take <laughs> stuff seriously. But you need a team that can. You need a team of bosses that know how to take their lane and department and run it up. And I can, like I said, I'm a creative at, at, at heart. I mean, I'm, I'm, I I want to be a great businessman. I want to be a mogul and all that stuff. But at, at my core, I'm a creator. I'm a storyteller. I'm a person who understands IP and how to, you know, entertain and connect with individuals. Um, 
So I need a strong team around me who know who know how to execute. And therefore, I had to learn how to delegate. I've had to learn how to say, all right, you got that. Uh, this is my inspiration. This is my vision. Take it, run with it, and get it right. Bring it back to me when it's right. And I think as any mogul, any boss, any leader, it's that's probably one of the greatest lessons that you have to learn, where you have to trust your team, you have to trust the process, and allow people to be the the bosses within your infrastructure. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I can't walk away before we talk about the music. Really quickly, yeah. you brought it up, and obviously we, we saw you, we grew with you. Yeah, yeah. I remember Gigolo. <laughs> Facts. But now you got... You got Raw and B, so the, yeah. the passion is still there to create music, and are we looking to find the talents in those areas? As, you as know well? what, it's, it's so many levels. I mean, again, like, you know, people who know the story know the story that yeah. I'm, I'm a music man at heart. Like, right. Think about everything that we said here talked about is all music related from Mad Singer, Wildin' Out, headphones. It's like I'm in the music. I probably made more money off of music than anything. Mm. But as the aspect of where the business is, like music moves the culture. And for me, as a real musician, like growing up in a church, play whatever instrument, all of that type of stuff, it's therapeutic for me. So it checks so many different boxes for me as, as an artist. I'm a musician, you know what I mean? As a businessman, I'm a music man. Like I've some of your favorite artists, I've I ushered the way for them to to be who they are, giving them got them their deal or mm -hmm. whatever it is, you know, uh in the same likes of the people I've grown up admiring like LA Reed, uh the the Russells, the Quincy's, like those are I wanted to be those guys. JD Puff, like I never wanted to be the dude in front and that's kind of where, like, if you saw how I got down throughout my career, I wasn't trying to be the dopest rapper. I wasn't trying to be, I, I could sing all my life. I never want, like, it wasn't cool to sing coming up. Like, yeah, I was right. just, you know hey, what I right, mean? Like, right. Yeah, like, Drake switched that up for all of us. And like, hey, I, I'll, be, I'll be out there singing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure so, but, like, now, even as I'm getting older and more mature in my space, I'm like, yo, I want to be able to still do it. Quincy did. I want to be able to compose. I want to be able to, you know, create Broadway shows and, you know, and, and really exercise my muscles in that in that sense. And the crazy shit is like I'm in a space where in my life is so crazy and my people are so interested and invested in my personal life. The one place where I get to speak my truth is in my music. And so, like, it's come full circle to where I used to be like, yeah, nah, I don't have time to be an artist. I got to focus on being the head of the label. I don't have time to, to you know, I got to go do this movie. And, like, now it's like, wow, I'm at a space now where I actually can be an artist but also still own a brand and a platform where I can continue to sign acts. I continue to not just sign but now give the game to and educate and give them the tools that I didn't have because of this new model to where it's like, all right, I don't know. I don't want to just sign you to my label. I want to be your partner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I want to. I want to give you the. I want to show you what I didn't know. I want to educate you to where all the mistakes that I made and everything from publishing and signing to this person and that person. Like, I, and that's why if you ever know any of the artists I work with, I never. I was like, I don't want nothing from you. If I didn't write on the song, I don't want publishing. <laughs> like, if I didn't produce, I don't want to, because I can write and produce. So yeah. I, I'm, I'm good in that space. Where a lot of these people who don't write or produce, 
gotta get that's the only way they eat because they gotta get somebody's publishing in order for them to be successful. So I believe in myself so much in the space of music that all I wanna do is give other people opportunity while I express myself as an artist as well. Nick, I appreciate the time, my brother. No doubt. We gotta, no we doubt. gotta chop it up again, man. And anything that we can do to help. That's why always a lot of time people just try to like just take from people. But yeah. you know, if we could be of any help as far as on the education side, anything like that, man, feel free. We really appreciate appreciate what you've done in the space but before we got to continue to build for sure for sure yeah. before we leave man can you just give a, a rundown i know you got too many to name but <laughs> a rundown of some of the things that you're, you're, you're most excited about and what you want the people to know about man under the the brand of incredible man we got you know obviously we talked about the dr savy documentary and a couple other following that we got some more documentaries about empowering the black community specifically black men uh we got some again new talk platforms that are the new model of how talk shows should be presented and it's going to be more than one you know what i mean and so I, I get the opportunity to flex the muscles that you saw on daytime now in a bunch of different spaces and and we have some some great new partners uh but probably more than anything man i'm super excited about this music space and just where the music industry is right now of giving young artists the opportunity to to do what i did but then at the same time, do it better and to have ownership of their brand and ownership of their content. Uh, at the same time, using that same model myself. And like you said, the Raw and B project. Uh, and then from there, you know, I got my the album Ghetto Blues that is coming after that. We hit the road uh, into May for the Wild and Out tour globally, which mm -hmm. is there. There's a Wild and Out film, the retrospective event. So it's almost like we're not going to call it like Jay did with Fade to Black, where it's like a concert film. Oh, no, like, life. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, so it's kind of like if Kings of Comedy met, met Fade to Black. So we uh, gonna get an opportunity to see us all on the road and how we got down. And then, literally, man. I mean, we got you know we filming currently about the film season eighteen of Wild and Out. Wow. And then from there we gonna go. You know, uh, by the end of the year we'll be filming season twenty. So season twenty has been twenty. Almost old enough to drink. Yeah, yeah, facts. <laughs> so, and then, you know, obviously Mad Singer number one show out there right now. And then um, we just going keep, to keep pushing in that sense. So got the podcast? Of course. Cannon's class. This all within, um, I got to get, now Now I got to get y'all. Y'all got to come talk, talk <laughs> that financial literacy on Cannon's class. Easy. That's easy. Too easy. Yeah, so, I mean, that that that's kind of, to me, that, that goes within the incredible brand. And even one of the things that I was talking about is like, talk in a different form in a different in a different way there you have it ladies and gentlemen the legendary nick cannon everybody another incredible session round of applause i was off the chain you guys i don't know about y'all but i am definitely definitely um striving to um Nick Cannon, I always admire his business sense, and I didn't know that this dude, man, really, he he really, he really did some stuff. I mean, that was like powerful. If you listen to the other episode, um, how he started out at seventeen, and I I got some key facts that I picked up. Create your own business model. I love it. Be authentic, which I'm, uh, I'm a stickler with that one. Be authentic in your craft. 
right? You know, master it. You know, and I love how he had presented. He said, um, master your craft, get in there and uh, perfect it. He said, you don't have to go around chasing somebody to to put you on whatever they need. They're going to come to you. That's how, that's what I got out of that. And so I see some things that I know for a fact I had extended some extra weeks. But uh, we're going to shut this down. And I'm going to have to dedicate definitely straight to my, um, I have three books that I know I need to complete. They're literally done. I just got to tweak it, send it to the editor. And we're going to get this thing done and package this where um, it's going to be impactful. And I'm telling you, it's going to have some awesome, awesome results when individuals buy uh, this program that I'm going to have to literally get the mind shift on people. And that's what it's all about, you guys. So uh, I just pray that y'all enjoyed that. Um, it came on. It came on through like an advertisement, and I didn't know it was on that long, but it did. <laughs> so, uh, whoa, that was just that was just beautiful. So I'm gonna chime with y'all later. I gotta get out of here and make some business moves, and uh, we'll chime back later. Okay, God bless.